0: Well, apparently, the, uh, the Oscars are on, I think, tonight. And like most of the rest of the country, I won't be watching. <laughs> but uh, I guess it was about seven years ago, in 2014, that Ellen DeGeneres took a selfie at the Oscars, and that became the most reshared, the most retweeted selfie of all times. And uh, you can go to the next slide there. Some of you might have seen this. If you're not on Twitter like I'm not, you probably didn't see. You probably saw it somewhere else anyway, but it's amazing that even seven years later, that still remains the fourth most retweeted post of all times. Now, selfies are not anything really new, right? I mean, selfies have been around for a long time, even before the invention of the cell phone, believe it or not. Matter of fact, even before the invention of the camera, there were selfies. We have Examples of artists who did selfies way back then. And yet, they've become so proliferous in our day, haven't they? And a lot of that has to do with the advent of social media, where we're out there trying to just make ourselves look so good. So many people are getting their sense of value, their sense of self-worth from, from social media. And so, of course, they go to great lengths to try to make themselves look good, to try to get other people to look at their selfies and to like them. But that's I think that's only just one symptom of a of a much deeper problem that we have in our culture today. And that problem is that we become, by and large, very self focused, very self centered, very, very selfish. And I think that's resulted in some of the things that we see around us. I think it's one of the biggest reasons that we can no longer seem to have a civil conversation with someone who might not share the same opinions that we share. Because we're so convinced that we are absolutely right. No one else could tell us anything that we don't already know. and, And so we hang on to those things and we can't have a civil conversation. I think it's one of the reasons why in our culture, especially here in the United States... There's so much focus on my rights, but not nearly as much focus on my responsibilities. And and that's because as as human beings, we're created with this this sinful nature. And so this is a tendency for all of us, I believe, to become really self-focused. I know it's a tendency in my own life. And my guess is that it might be for you, too. I think for me personally, one of the biggest areas of growth in my walk with Jesus over the last year is to to begin to understand more deeply just how my self-centeredness impacts my own life. And so I'm really working on that. I'm really working on trying to do some things, to take some practical steps to, to kind of get beyond that. And maybe some of us, some of you need to do that too. I know this is really a cliche, but I think it's a helpful cliche. And so if we look at the word sin, what letter is right in the middle of the word sin? I, right? And if you think about it, that's probably a pretty good definition of sin. It's It's a focus on I. It's a focus on what I want, what I need, what I think is right goes all the way back to the garden the very first sin was because Adam and Eve decided that that what God had given them wasn't enough they wanted to be like God and so they said God we want to take this fruit so we can have the knowledge of good and evil and really every sin that's been committed from that time forward is is somehow related to this over focus on me and mine now there's some good reasons to focus on self, right? There's some, some reasons that we should. I mean, for instance, it's a good thing to take care of my body. I ought to eat healthy. I ought to exercise. That, that's a good thing. If I'm going to go apply for a job, I have to make myself look good, right? Or I'm not going to get the job. So, so there are some things there, but the problem is, is when we take it to an extreme. And this morning, as we continue in our sermon series where we're looking at the book of first Thessalonians and we're talking about living in light of eternity what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage where Paul is going to give us some really good practical advice on how to make sure that we don't get so caught up with self that we fail to be able to carry out the mission that Jesus has given to us. So if you have your Bibles go ahead and open them up to uh, first Thessalonians chapter 2 and uh, this morning I'm going to read the uh, the first 16 verses of that chapter and you can go ahead and and follow along there. So 1st Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Your witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God God's wrath has come upon them at last. Apparently in, uh, in Paul's day, there were a lot of these kind of itinerant philosophers, these wandering philosophers, and they would go around from, from town to town, and they would find out what the people wanted to hear, and they would speak those things. They would speak with flattering words, and for some reason, I don't personally understand this, but people would actually pay these people money to do that imagine of course we don't have anything like that at all in our culture right where people go around and speak flattering words and expect someone else to to give them money for that but they would go around and do that and they would go from town to town and they would kind of get as much money as they could and they would take off and and so what was happening there in Thessalonica is there were some Jews there that were accusing Paul of doing exactly the same thing But Paul's going to defend himself here. He doesn't always do that, but here he does. And I think it's really important that he does that here because he's going to help them to to understand what's going on here. And so he begins to defend himself. He says, no, we didn't do that at all. We were there there to to preach the gospel. Now, these people said, well, no, Paul's just like them. He came with flattering words, and guess what? He, He took off in the middle of the night and left town. Now, they were right about that. Remember, we talked about this last week, that when Paul came there to Thessalonica, that that he went first to to the Jews, and most of them rejected him. He goes to the Gentiles, and some of the Jews got really jealous, so they ran him out of town. But Paul's saying, no, I didn't do that at all. So as a matter of fact, not only did I not take your money, but I worked while I was there so that no one could accuse me of that. Now this week, as I, as I kind of looked at this passage early in the week, I thought, man, this is a, a lot to kind of tackle in one sermon, and I kind of wish that I'd broken it down into some smaller chunks, but you know, the more that I looked at it over the, over the week, I began to realize that maybe there's some good value in looking at this as a whole, because I began to see that throughout the entire passage, there's kind of a common theme that runs throughout there. It's the one that we want to talk about this morning. And so here's the theme or the, the main idea that we're going to look at this morning. And this that's this, that churches that make an impact for the gospel when they choose to be selfless in a selfie world. That's really what Paul is writing about here. He's writing about how is it that, that, that in a world that's so focused on self, that we can be effective by not doing that, by not focusing so much on self, but, but by focusing on other people. And so let's just kind of jump right in. I want to look at, at some things that we can learn here about how we can do that. Because like we talked about last week, if we, need, if we want churches to make an impact by doing that, then the individuals within the church also have to do that. So let's look at how to be selfless in a selfie world. Let me share a few things with you. Here's the first one that we want to look at together this morning, that I have to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I have to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Notice what he said. He uses this phrase, the gospel of God, here three times. That that phrase is actually only used eight times in the entire New Testament. Three of them are found in this chapter, so it must be something important here. And when he uses that phrase, what he's saying about the gospel, when he calls it the gospel of God, he's saying, first of all, that it belongs to God. He's saying, second of all, that it has the authority of God that goes with it. And so he talks here about how the the Bible that we have, it's not just the words of men, it's the word of God, and that's what Paul was preaching. He says, what we're preaching is we're not just using flattery, we're not just using the things that you want to hear, we're speaking to you the word of God. And he reinforces that in verse 13 when he writes this. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work within you. So Paul, he says... You need to accept the Word of God as it really is. It's the Word of God. You need to believe that it's the Word of God. And we've talked about this before, this idea of believing is more than just an intellectual assent. It's meaning that as we read the Word of God, we believe it so much that we're willing to change our lives based on what we read in here. We've talked a lot about this um, with the men over the last few weeks from from the, uh, our Saturday morning Bible study, we've been talking about having a biblical worldview. And what that just means is that we look at everything in our lives based on what the Word of God says, whether that's our schoolwork or our marriages or our parenting or our jobs, the way we deal with other people in the relationships that that all those things ought to be guided by what we find in the Word of God. And if we really believe it's the Word of God, then we're going to allow it to be at work in us. Notice that's what he says here. He says, if you believe that it's truly the work of God, he says, it's at work in you believers. That phrase, at work, is a really interesting word. It's a a Greek word that, um, that, that we get our English word energy from. And what he's really saying th- is this that if you truly believe that the Bible is the word of God then it's going to energize every area of your life. So here's an easy test to tell whether you really believe the, that whether the Bible is the word of God is it what is energizing every area of your life? Is that the first place that you go, not the last place? Is this your guide for all those things I just talked about, everything from your schoolwork to your relationships? Where is it not? So the first thing, if, if you want to be not self-focused, you have to take this as the Word of God and believe it and, and change your life based on this, not based on your own feelings, not based on your own desires. The second thing we have to do is if we don't want to be so selfish is that we need to proclaim the Word of God with lips and lives. Now, hopefully, if you were here last week, this sounds really familiar, right? Because this was kind of the main idea last week that we talked about that if we want to be effective that we need to be proclaiming the word of God and we need to do it with our lips by the things we say we need to do it by the way that we live and Paul talks a lot here about proclaiming the word of God with our lips as a matter of fact he uses all these different synonyms here to describe what it means to to uh, to proclaim the word of God he says to declare the word of God in verse two he talks about speaking it in verse 4, he talks about proclaiming it in verse 9, and he talks about sharing it in verse 8. So he really emphasizes this whole idea that at some point we have to speak the gospel with our lips. And that's, that's a really important thing for us to do. Now, in our culture, unfortunately, there are some, there are some churches that have kind of gotten away from speaking the Word of God. In order not to offend people, they're really careful not to talk about sin. Or they're really careful not to talk about uh, some of the biblical standards for things like marriage or gender identity. Because they don't want to offend anyone. But I'm here to tell you this morning that I don't really think that's the most loving thing that we can do for people. As a matter of fact, I want to share with you a statement that, that I think is the most important thing that you can take away from this message today. And here's, here's what I would say about this idea of proclaiming the Word of God: that the most loving thing we can do for another person is to hold fast to the truth of God's Word. Let me say that again: the most loving thing we can do for another person is to hold fast to the truth. Of God's word you know sometimes I I think we think well you know the best thing is maybe I can water down the gospel just a little bit or maybe I can kind of leave out some of the things maybe I can just not talk about about sin because that might offend somebody and I think we do that with good intentions. I think some of the churches that, that fail to talk about sin or, or some of the harder aspects of the gospel, they do it with good intentions. I think maybe the mindset is something like this, well, if I can just get them to, to pray the prayer and give their life to Jesus, then, then over time, maybe they'll come to really understand that and they'll really hold on to the truth of God's word. But I, I'm not sure that's the way it works. I don't know how many of you in here might uh, own a timeshare. I know some of you do, and some of you have great, you know, that's been a great thing in your life. But do you realize that one of the fastest growing industries in our country right now are companies that help people get out of their timeshares? And you know why that is? Because when they sold these timeshares, they used deceptive means. They didn't share all the information. They just shared the stuff that made it look really good. And now people are finding out that they have these rapidly increasing maintenance costs that they have to pay. They can't get the weeks they want. You know, all this stuff doesn't work. And what I'm afraid of is that if we try to water down the gospel, that the same thing can happen in a spiritual sense. That if we're not honest with people up front about the fact that they need to confront their sin, if we're not honest up front about the fact that that God's Word has some things that we need to hold to when it comes to things like marriage and things like gender identity that might not conform to our culture, that, that you know, when they become aware of those things, they might turn the other way. They might feel like they've been sold a, good, a bill of goods. So I'll say it again, that the most loving thing that we can do for another person is to hold fast to the truth of God's word it's not really loving to water it down even though we might think it is however this does lead to the next thing that we have to do which is kind of a balance here and that is that we have to be compassionate Paul writes here that that they were gentle like a nursing mother taking care of their children you know, Paul didn't just go in and beat the people over the head with the gospel. They were they were gentle in the way that they shared it. And I think we need to do the same thing. We need to be compassionate towards other people. We need to be gentle towards them. We can hold to the truth of God and yet still do this at the same time. And both Paul and Peter write about that in the new testament here's what paul said in the book of galatians about that in galatians chapter 6 verse 1 he says brothers if anyone is in caught caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what gentleness keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted or peter in first peter he writes this is chapter 3 probably a familiar passage to a lot of us says but in your hearts honor christ the lord is holy and here's kind of the key part, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with what? Gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I think those passages are pretty clear. We need to, if we're going to be focused on others rather than on self, then we need to be compassionate. Compassionate with God's truth we need to hold to the truth but we need can do it in a compassionate way the next thing that we see here is that if we're gonna if we're not going to be selfish is that we need to expect opposition Paul writes to them here and he says man you guys are facing the same kind of opposition that the churches in Judea there in the area around Jerusalem are facing he says not only that he said man when I came there that you know Me and my companions, we all suffered all kinds of opposition. I mean, we were run out of town time after time after time. So Paul knows what it is to face opposition. We really shouldn't be too surprised at that, though, should we? We live in a world where, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, we're facing more and more and more opposition. And I don't think it's going to get any better until Jesus returns, frankly. I'd Like to say, we shouldn't be surprised. A few hours before he goes to the cross, Jesus said these words to his disciples in John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus makes it really clear that we, are, we ought to expect opposition. I can tell you right now that if you hold fast to God's word, When it comes to some of the controversial types of things in our culture, like some of the ones I mentioned earlier, like the biblical model for marriage or or gender identity, if you hold to those, I guarantee you will be called names. You will be called intolerant. You'll be called a bigot. You'll be called probably far worse than that. And now do you realize that in some states, even here in the United States, that you could be arrested for a hate crime for doing that? And as I said, I think it's only going to get worse as we get closer to Jesus' return. So we ought to expect opposition. You ought to expect that people are not going to love you for holding fast to the truth of God's Word sometimes. And what you need to do because of that is you need to make up your mind ahead of time that when that happens that you're not going to give in to that opposition, that you're going to hold fast to the Word of God regardless of the consequences. Because if you don't decide that ahead of time, when you get in the heat of the moment, it's going to be really hard for you to do that. Finally, the last thing that we need to do is we need to trust the results to God. I love what Paul says here. He says, we didn't do any of this to please men. He says, I'm doing this to please God. I mean, time after time, Paul faced opposition, right? He didn't have a whole lot of success every time he went into a town. As a matter of fact, among his Jewish brothers and sisters, he had almost no success. His usual pattern was to go into a town, and the first thing he does, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he shares the gospel from the Scriptures, And in almost every town he goes to, his fellow Jews rejected that message. And it would have been real easy for Paul to just say, well, I guess that's it, man. God must be done with me. But he doesn't give up. He keeps on going on because it's not about him. It's about God. And so he goes to the Gentiles and he begins to share the gospel and he has some success there. And as he says here, he says, I'm not doing this for myself. I don't care if I please any other man. I only have to please one person, and that's God. And because of that... He could just leave the results to God. He could do what God had called him to do and just leave the results to God. And we can do the same thing. I know, I know how hard it is when you share the gospel with someone and they reject it because you feel like you're being rejected personally. But the fact is, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. And that's on them, that's not on you. God is never going to hold you responsible for the decision that someone else makes or doesn't make. But what He is going to hold you responsible for is being faithful to share the gospel with other people when you have the opportunity to do that. So we just need to trust the results to God. So we've seen this morning that churches that make an impact for the gospel, they do that when they choose to be selfless in a selfie world. So as we close this morning, I want to make this really practical for all of us. So I, I'm going to give you, both everyone, two assignments. The first one we're going to do right now, it's a one-question test. And here's the question. What's the most important idea to take away from this message today? I shared it with you earlier several times. you get an A plus. That's right. Here it is. The most important loving thing we can do to another person is to hold fast to the truth of God's word. So I want you to remember that this morning. Here's your second assignment. I wanted you to make this really practical. So I want you to do something practical this week to serve someone else cuz here's what we usually find when we do that it gets the focus off of me. But here I'm going to I'm going to give you a couple of caveats to this. Do something that you'll get nothing out of. Do something that just benefits the other person and not you. I've tried I have to tell you that over the last year I've tried to incorporate this into my life on a regular basis. I've made a regular commitment to do this and I have to tell you that that I believe with all my heart that that is helped me to grow in this area far more than anything else I could have done. And so just do it once this week. Find some way you can serve someone else. It'd be even better if you got yourself in a position where you're doing this on a regular basis. And I know some of you in this room are doing that. And the ones that are doing that, I know, are some of the the least selfish people that I know. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now, the things that we've talked about this morning They're relatively easy, right? I mean, they're they're, they're not hard things to understand, but they're not always easy to actually do in real life, right? It's hard to implement some of these things. But it's important that we do. And Paul leaves us at the end of this passage with a warning. And he tells us that for those who don't put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they are currently experiencing God's wrath and that they're going to experience that wrath for eternity. And as we talked about before, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. It could be today, it could be another 2,000 years from now, but I do know this, when He comes back, the eternal destiny of every person that we know is going to be sealed at that point in time. I don't want anybody that I know, not even my worst enemy, to suffer the wrath of God. And so what it tells us that this task that we have been given to share the gospel with other people is of the utmost urgency. Let's pray. Father, again, we're so thankful for your word. Father, I thank you that the things that Paul writes here are so practical. And Father, we live in a world where, oh man, (laughs) that's. Selfies are the big thing. Matter of fact, I, I, I was reading this week, God, that the word selfie was the word of the year back in 2013. That's how selfish we become as a culture. And Father, it's so easy for all of us to fall in that trap. I know I've done that myself time after time. So I want to pray that you would help each of us to be selfless in a selfie world. That you'd help us to apply the things that we've learned today so that we would love you and love other people in a way that would bring you glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.